Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. You can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And be sure to take a moment to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. That's iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or Google Play. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, family, we're going to get right to it. Today we are joined in studio by Bashira Mack, freelance multimedia journalist, social media manager for Sapelo Square, and as always, the impressive one, assistant producer Ibrahim Baig. Assalamu alaikum to you both. Family, I am really excited to get into this conversation today. We are talking about a movie that I personally feel like everybody Everybody who cares about democracy, who cares about representation, um, needs to go see. And that is Michael Moore's latest film, uh, documentary, Fahrenheit 11.9. So we've, we've all seen the movie. Uh, I believe it, it, opened up, it opened up yesterday, right? Was that yesterday, first day? Uh, I think last weekend. I, think it was I saw it last weekend. Yeah. Oh, you saw it last weekend? Mm-hmm. Last Friday. I oh. think last weekend was opening weekend. Okay, so, so we were a little late, but we did see it. Okay. So, all right. Um, this, there's so much, there's so much in this. Now, now, first, just start off. Before you start off, by the <laughs> way, I love how we got the bean pie just ready. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Coming like correct. Bean pie. That's this right. And, and you know what? And maybe you might want to, if you're listening to this after the fact, right, then maybe you might want to pause and get yourself your own bean pie. Get yourself a cup of coffee, a cup of tea. I'm doing decaf right now, all right? And then start it back up so you can get into this and really be in the spirit with us. Yes. Right? I think, I think that's important. <laughs> so let's, let's first start off with um, what do you all feel like Michael Moore's objective was with this, with this film? What was his overall um, objective? I would say... Um Man, after I saw it, first of all, I didn't even know that it was coming out. I didn't even know it was out. I got a call from a friend and was like, hey, um, saw this Fahrenheit 11.9 by Michael Moore. You probably would like it. Go see it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it was like, okay, I'm not doing anything this weekend. Let me go see this movie. <laughs> I'm into, you know, as a multimedia journalist, I'm trying to see more documentaries right. um, so that one day, inshallah, I'm, I'm producing my own. But inshallah. I went out, and I was, like, blown away. Yeah. Um, and I think his his objective definitely was to fire people up because I feel fired up after seeing it. And I think one thing about the film is it strings together so many different issues that you might not know on the surface are all interwoven and all very related. And he did so in such uh, an interesting way. And it was it's also there was some humor um, to it too, but. Hmm. I mean, even the title itself, Fahrenheit 11.9, right? That's a play on the previous documentary he did, Fahrenheit 9.11. Right. Um, you know, and I think some imagery in the beginning of the film even showed how even the events of 9.11 sort of were a precursor to where we are now and, like, how we exist now, right, mm-hmm. in this Trump reality that, that we have. Um, and, of course, 11.9 is the day after election, so right. that tells you something. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, so I thought the purpose of his making this was really to spur people 
into action on election day as the title alludes to and the way he starts out in kind of the first half of the movie is um, detailing why everyone feels so hopeless and so downtrodden nowadays but by the end of the movie you start to see like okay there is hope and he focuses on young people such as uh, uh, Parkland and so on and so you get the feeling that yeah there is action that we can take and there is uh, a way to find results mm-hmm. most likely I mean first and foremost through voting yeah um, and I'm going to agree with both of you uh, and, and then I also think that one of the objectives was to show that there is a there's an underlying theme that was connected uh, that was represented throughout the film and uh, one of those I should say multiple themes but one of those things that I would like to jump off with was greed uh, and its impact on on democracy uh, and its impact on participation, uh, how it impacts and innocent just, people. Yeah, you know what? And, and that's a that's a that's an interesting way to term that, right? Innocent. Like, are you innocent if you don't exercise agency? Are you innocent if you just choose not to be engaged? Are you innocent? Can you really be called innocent? I mean, and that's not a question necessarily we have to answer right here, but I think it's worthy of thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about the people in Flint, for example. Now, now that's that's a great point, right? Because one of the things that he showed there was that there were people, and one of the guys said, "People want to come out and protest." You know, we would be out here protesting. I think I, I'm, I'm going to give some license. And I'm just going to paraphrase. He says, but we want to protest. We want to get out here. We want to make our voices heard. But people have to keep the lights on, right? And you start to look at the effects of maybe not third world poverty, but poverty in a sense being of the working poor where you can't afford to take a day off of work to go protest. And because if you're not protesting, you're not making noise, people think that everything's okay and you're good with what's, with, uh, with what's going on. And you see that how greed is also at the base of that, just in terms of people having living wages. Mm-hmm. So... Good, good, very, very interesting point there. I like that you you said greed because I also thinking back now because I, I I didn't see it yet like I saw it like a week ago so now I'm like oh yeah I remember this this part of the film and even in the very beginning it kind of sets the stage like and people should definitely go see like this film definitely go before November see it before <laughs> November take your family take your neighbor yeah. if you can go see it um, but. Poor Gwen Stefani. <laughs> Poor Gwen Stefani. You have to see this film to understand the context. I wonder if she's seen it. I wanted to tweet her, like that say I was in the theater trying to tweet her. And I was like, I was trying, but then I was like, let me focus on the movie because it's really good. I really wanted to like tweet her, like, girl, did you see this? But it would all make sense when you see the film. But when you're talking about greed and, and how we even came into this reality of like Trump, it's because the film itself, it, it covers so many different things, right? It covers, um, like, political corruption on a state level, on a federal level, even some collusion. Yeah. It covers environmental racism. It covers pollution. It covers um, corporate greed. It covers so many different things. It covers um, people not having livable wages. Um, it covers, um, you know, 
organizing and striking and, and, and just the power of unions and people organizing. It covers so many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it starts off, poor Gwen Stefani. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, greed is definitely something super... It, it it's 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 the motivation it it probably is like the motivation for where right where we are i would i would say if i can if i can if i can word that and put that in words um because even the election you know trump running was in, in he and his campaign from what the film you know w- was was showing is it wasn't necessary it wasn't act like it wasn't like oh yeah i had this plan because i'm gonna be president and i actually believe this right. it's like oh I'm greedy because someone's getting paid more than me on the network and I'm going to show them I'm going to show them that I'm more popular than this person so you should pay me more so I'm just going to I'm going to cause a ruckus and like stage this whole like media thing so people can 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 see that I bring in the ratings more than this person why are you paying them more than me you know yeah. and apparently yeah. this was a woman getting paid more than him god forbid there's definitely a lot of a uh, lot of arrogance that was at the seat of that um you know, to feel that I'm being uh, I'm being downplayed, I'm not being appreciated. So I've got to go out and I've got to perform. And one of the th- one of the things they said uh, was um, wanted to show show off the fact that he could ad lib, that he could get out there and just go off the top of the head and and do so, of course, without any consequences, because not being a traditional politician, you don't have anybody to, you know, you're not worried about anybody voting for right, you, right, right, right. So, um, and that was appealing to some people. That was very appealing to some folks. Yes, because um, Fox News has been telling people for a long time that the establishment is a problem, and political correctness is a problem, and you know that's kind of the root of all the uh, all the evil in our country, and so on. And then along comes Donald Trump, who is basically the embodiment of everything. Like the, that, that they've been told for a while, mm-hmm. and then people just flocked to He him. was the savior. Right. Yeah. But it was also the, the formula where greed also comes in again is, I think they were interviewing somebody from CBS, one of the a former exec or maybe mm-hmm. still, still an executive with them. And he said, I don't know about America, but this is great. This is going to be a great year for, for CBS. Or whatever yeah, the whatever yeah, the network yeah. for the rating, right? Yeah. For the ratings, yeah. Said money is just coming in, right? So because of the spectacle, yeah, that was Trump, yeah. So there's there's not a, a feeling of responsibility. There there's not a, a, a feeling of stewardship. Um, that something is owed to the people. Just simply, you know, we just here to we just here to get our money. And this was the media. Yes, these are, these are this is corporate media. <laughs> And to that point, when this term fake news, and I, I, would, I, I don't want to go there. I'll say this, that these outlets, they definitely disrespected themselves. They minimized that. They, they, well, they, they took them, away they their own them credibility. They gift, really. I, I know. Trump is running off free ratings. Now he can be at, like the NBC TV. No, we can show him on TV for free. <laughs> yeah. We don't even have to pay him. Yeah. But I also like the way that, uh, that Michael Moore portrayed realize that Trump has been a master of media for a long time. Mm-hmm. All right, this is, mm-hmm. I mean, forget the, the real estate. He has known how to, to interact, how to play the media. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it is. So it was like a perfect storm. 
Yeah. Him already having a base where people looked at him from the uh, from the Apprentice or looked at him from just being a, a brash and you know over the top character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then putting him in a position where because we have this we have this uh, this love of wealth, you know, and we put folks who who appear to have wealth on a pedestal. Um, and, and you think about how many rap songs, you know, he's been in, where people have, you know, his name is reference Donald lyrics. Trump, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So it, it all came together just in a way. It was just, you know, it was a win-win for them, and and America, uh, and we lost. It was a lose really for the lost. rest of us. We really lost. So, how did that? Um, what was another thing? that came up in it. You, you, I mean, you, you kind of threw a bunch of them out there. Um, Snyder. Rick Snyder. Rick Snyder. Now, this also, once again, goes back to this, this greed and this, this access, right? If, if, there's, if there's one issue that I feel like needs to be at the top of, of the list, of the top of the agenda, it is campaign finance reform. Mm-hmm. Right? 100%. Because you should not be able to buy an election. No. And if you look at Rauner, you look at um, look at Snyder, you look and, and even right now we have JB that's running. Right. And we can only hope that he's going to he'll use his powers for good. Right? Hopefully. Inshallah. <laughs> yeah. But there there's something wrong, fundamentally wrong with the this idea of access that is capable because you have just an unfair advantage. And uh, so anyway, but back to Snyder. <sighs> I couldn't believe, honestly, like, God. I mean, on the one hand, because I'm black yeah. <laughs> and a descendant of enslaved people, yeah. I can, but, like nothing's new under the sun. But when you when you see these images in the film, right, because there are different voices. What I really appreciate about this movie is there are so many different voices also represented um, from like veterans um, to teachers to organizers um, and like just grassroots folks, you know, one thing, one voice, it wasn't really a voice, but it was a presence. It was a voice. It just wasn't vocal. It was the children, these kids in Flint. Right. Yeah. And just the images of these children. Right. And I think if, if you, even if you don't care about politics, see this, see this movie because you care about the future. See this movie because you care about your kids. There were parents in this film with their kids at these doctor's appointments and just the amount of like toxic, like poisoning from the lead in the water that of course it was governor Snyder um, was responsible for. And and that government knew about it, right? They knew about it for some time, but the type of corruption, the type of like corporate greed and like political greed, it was at the expense of these kids Mm -hmm. of children. So on the one hand, there are some folks who are innocent, and those would be those children, right? Yeah. Certainly the the kids, but you like kids having lead levels like ten, like they said three and a half is like three and a half is supposed to be like this is a lead level that is like bad. There are Mm -hmm. kids that had ten, fourteen, and then the cover up, and these are like these are black lives that were disposable. Yeah, and these folks, the government knew for a like a at least a year. They said, "Yeah, absolutely." And they kept saying that well, no, the water's fine; it's meeting the testing levels and stuff. When they actually knew that it was mm-hmm. poison. And the the interesting thing, and 
about it is that there was a woman who was, um, you know, she worked for the health department. And she was the person that she was, she you know, she was saying in the film that they people were higher higher up above her were telling her, yeah, change the change change the numbers. Right. And she would make she said she would make photocopies of the actual data, mm-hmm. and then so she had a record of the actual numbers where the lead levels were well above like what is healthy for anybody right and so she was able to like keep her own like keep keep records for later on <laughs> like she something was coming and it, it just wasn't going to be good if the, you know if 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 this health department which is a governmental entity is telling you like hey change these levels to make it seem like everything is okay at the expense of these poor black people right right and those are Flinton's like they were saying like at least eighty five percent black. It was, it was higher, I think, but it was p- predominantly black town, right? I think they show this was also one of those uh, points, and and then there are different points throughout the film where you see these um, these intersections. And this was a point where there was an intersection between race and class, and it wasn't. It, it, of course, you're looking at a predominantly um, African American uh, city. But then you're also looking at the the whites that were there were lower income, right? I mean, so there was this idea that these lives uh, these lives are expendable, and one of the one of the things that really just just got under my skin it says that um it was ten thousand ten thousand children mm-hmm. there in Flint that drank that water, uh, and and then when they detailed the effects of lead, what lead does it it has the um, capacity to to change DNA, mm-hmm. right? Causes all types of um, um, uh, uh, aggressive uh, and irrational behaviors. Um, lower and, IQ. Yeah, lower IQ. And when you think about this, you talk about basically removing a generation from contention in, in society, right? Saying that these these people now are not, they, they, they're not going to have the capacity to be the next doctors and lawyers and accountants and civil servants, you know, it's, it's very little that they're going to be able to do. So it made me think about that, that unseen genocide mm-hmm. uh, that's taking place uh, in America. And, and one of, and it also made me appreciate data collection, mm-hmm. right? How important it is to have, um, to have these numbers that you can look at and see uh, comparisons uh, and I'll give you one uh, when it comes to, and this wasn't in the film, it just kind of popped into my head, but there's one um, with regard to gun violence, and I believe it's homicide, uh, for white males between 15 and 24, I think that was the age range, uh, it is 12 per 100,000. Uh, for Latinx, it is, I think, 77 per 100,000. And for African Americans, it is upwards of 300 per 100,000. You do the comparison, and then you, you start looking at the actual population uh, makeup, you know, 13% of the population, mm-hmm. and those kind of numbers, and you start running those numbers across the board, and you, and you see an, an orchestrated uh, effort to reduce a population. Uh, none of this is, is, is by happenstance. Right. So... Um, but yeah, but those those numbers, ten thousand kids, uh, black, white, that are drinking and and poor, and, yeah, poor people, those who are least able to advocate for themselves. 
and they talk about how the pipeline was built. Now, I don't know the details on it. They don't go too much detail, but yeah. they basically say it was built for nothing in order to appease certain banks and corporations that were Great. going to get in on the construction process. Yep. They didn't actually need it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And when they finally found out that the water is poisonous and they admitted it, who was the only <laughs> people who got to go back to the original water source? G- was the corporation. GM. Yeah. GM. It was interesting because you mentioned that, and I'm like, yeah, that was so bizarre. Just So GM, you know, they have the, the, the automobile plant there, and they're saying that they they were using the water to, like, clean some of the parts of the cars before they ship them out. And they complained to Snyder, um, the governor, to say, hey, this stuff is damaging our auto, which is damaging our profits, mm-hmm. essentially, right? Yeah. And so that company was able to go back to the old pipeline where they had access to this clean water but the resident, but the residents, the human lives, damaging our bodies, our lives, our future. If you think yeah. about what Led's doing to your metal car part, you don't know. Like, do you? Can you even conceive that it's okay to like allow a human being to drink from this, to bathe from this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely crazy. And it also, once again, I'm going to go back to greed. Mm. Um, and it's not isolated. To, to Michigan, right? This is a problem that we have across the country. Matter of fact, it's a problem for the for, for the world. For any any for all governments, we look. There will be a, a class that has more access, more resources than the people that they're supposed to be responsible to, uh, and they maintain that by making sure that there's a ceiling over uh, the, the the majority of the population. So, speaking about the the pipeline, um, yeah, he said. You know, there was no reason to get it. They were getting their water from <clears throat> from uh, Lake, Lake Huron, Huron, yeah, right. And he put out he put out a fact that I was not aware of. I mean, and that was that uh, said Michigan has what eighty percent of the uni- world. I think he said water. the world. Was it the world? Fresh, fresh water. water. The Great Lakes. I think yeah. Hey, the, of the like world. When, when he said world, I was like, whoa, what? Yeah, like it's the biggest body of. If you put all the Great Lakes together, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's the biggest body of fresh, fresh water, water on yeah. the planet. Yeah. yeah. So the whole line in Michigan is surrounded by like a building three of them or something. Like yeah, and like I mean, you got so a fresh water supply. A, 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 another pipeline. It just goes. It just shows that I mean there is an attempt, not just an attempt, <clears throat> but this this constant pattern of just raiding the public coffers, right? A rich guy or whoever somebody gets in the office and the first thing they want to do is they want to open up the state's checkbook. I mean there was absolutely no reason. This guy needs to be. You know, he should be tried. He should be like in a stockade somewhere. Hmm. I mean, he he really should. And and I gotta say this: I was not happy because um, <laughs> I, mean, I cried. I'm not gonna lie. I cried after uh, when Obama was elected. I did. First, this first term was the day after. I just you know I was so caught up. Um, but realizing that this is much bigger than symbolism, mm-hmm. uh, and it's much bigger than you know. You know, this idea that he was the black president. No, no, no. You don't get to be the black president. You don't get to that kind of position without having uh, an access that most folks don't have. And I was just so sad to see him play, play his part, mm-hmm. you know, going in and, and drinking the water. No, he didn't even drink it. He just kind of sipped. Yeah. He's kind of put his lip, put his lips to it. Yeah. And pulled away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, give you a little context, uh, fam. So, if you haven't seen it, the you, you remember when Flint 
they're protesting and they're calling for, they're looking for FEMA. They're looking for it to be um, declared a state, you know, an emergency, right? They, they want federal disaster money to come in to help them deal with the situation. The president at the time, President Obama, he came in. Uh, Governor Snyder gets up in front of the audience to talk, and he apologizes, this weak apology, and nobody wants to hear him. They're waiting for the president to get up. He gets up and he speaks. And the first thing he says, he says, I see you, I hear you, and I'm waiting for him to say something. Because you know what? It's been so long, I've forgotten how that played out. So I'm like, okay, what's about to happen? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, like, I, like, it, like I don't know. Like I didn't live through it as well with the rest of the nation. And he goes, <clears throat> <laughs> I didn't uh, could, even I, know about that. I didn't even know about that. Dude, I, I had no idea. It's like, can yeah. I get a glass of water? And the crowd is like, what? And they bring out this glass of Flint water. Supposed to be Flint Supposedly. water. And he, he just kind of dips. But, tip, dips his, lip his lips. I was like, oh, man. And then he says, oh, this is not an act, by the way. I'm, I'm really thirsty here. Yeah. And then he does it again, like, later mm. in the press conference or something. It was sad. It was a bad, It was just like, come on, bro. It was sad. <clears throat> and I'm not going to take anything away from anybody's intentions but the numbers that he also put up and I'll give more credit for this is that he didn't try to paint Obama in a in an unfairly you know positive light you know he, he put it out there he says you know more people were um, deported during his uh, presidency than any other uh, now of course even with every stat there's always contributing uh, factors to it, right? But he says also, you, know, you talked about the drone strikes and, mm-hmm. um, but then that, that performance at the, uh, in front of the, the people of Flint, it's like, player, man. Yeah. That was, that was bad, man. That yeah, that's bad. good. Actually, um, I think with that, we can transition, we can transition after the break, Sean, yeah, yeah. into another theme of the, a major theme of the movie, which was, establishment the elitist kind of democrats mm-hmm. as opposed to the grassroots democrats who are actually out there great segue the very good very good all right radio Islam family we're going to take a short break you are listening to radio Islam on wcev 1450 a.m we'll be back in a minute Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show, produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. The Syrian Community Network with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 
or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. Hey America, we need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. They can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We got extra food and we've got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America in your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember to keep up with us on social media, and you can also find us and subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get yours at. Look for us on both fronts at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. Uh, I am joined in studio by Bashira Mack, multimedia journalist, as well as the impressive one, Assistant Producer Ibrahim Baik, and we have been talking about Fahrenheit 11.9, and uh, yeah, go see it, go see it. Uh, before we jump back in, I'm going to give you my personal recommendation as far as seating is concerned. Make sure that if you're in a crowded theater, you want to make your way to the back. That way you can pull out your phone and take your notes, because this is one that you want to take notes on, okay? So, that being said, uh, Ibrahim, you mentioned electoral um, what elitism is that how you put it I didn't say that but that's a good way to put it actually <laughs> okay this is the part where me and Bashir can nerd out a little bit mm-hmm. uh, the electoral so how there's a two party system the two party system stays in place through the electoral system right okay why is that it's because the electoral system does not reward fringe parties Traditionally, then this is how it traditionally has worked, right? If you get five percent of the vote, you get nothing, right. right? So the electoral system is what keeps the two-party system in place. Traditionally, and uh, when you see this in the movie, the these uh, democratic establishment figures kind of acting like uh, he says they're acting like Republicans or whatever. It's mm-hmm. because the the standard has been common knowledge has been that because of this two-party system, you have to appeal to the center right, right. in order to get the votes. If you appeal to the fringe, you're not going to be rewarded by the electoral system. So that's what traditionally has created this um, knowledge, this standard that you have to appeal to the center. Now, the Republican Party around the Tea Party days of you know several years ago, that was the big change in that. After mm-hmm. Obama was first elected, yeah. they started to appeal to the fringe, and they found quite a lot of success in that mm-hmm. now the democrats have not so far the established has not appealed to uh progressives as much well they do have uh and he really didn't talk about it that much but the democratic socialist 
which is a burgeoning uh, movement uh, that that's really gaining a lot a lot of uh, yeah. traction, mm-hmm. especially with uh, younger. And yes, exactly. Younger but he showed how it's basically being suppressed by these older, out of touch, uh, older generation Elites. Democrats. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so let's just jump on West Virginia. <laughs> West Virginia. I had no idea. Uh, well, you know, what? let me roll the tape back a, a bit to that point as far as having, um, you know, a, a two-party system in name. We have a two-party system in name. Now, if you look at the U.K., and they have, uh, you know, they have a, a parliamentary uh, system where you, you have multiple parties, and depending upon your vote, uh, you, get, you get a certain number of seats. We're sort of looking very much like that under the guise of a two-party, well, at least within a, rep- a rep- Republican Party, right? Because there's the, the Freedom Caucus, and then there's the, uh, are they still going by the Tea Party? Or has the Tea Party transitioned into the Freedom Caucus? I haven't heard much the about The Tea that. Party, you don't really hear about it anymore because mm-hmm. they kind of transitioned their platforms into uh, the mainstream Republican mm-hmm. Party. Their, mm-hmm. their platforms kind of shifted into it and were absorbed into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I only asked because I feel like in name we're a two-party system. Mm-hmm. I was going to say in name we're a democracy. <laughs> you know, that was also go, touched go upon. In <laughs> go, go ahead. That, that was touched upon in the film um, and something that was very startling. This whole film was just, you just got to see it. You're going to be so, if you, if you thought you was woke, you're about to be <laughs> double woke. <laughs> Caffeinated. <Okay>. Caffeinated woke. <laughs> um there was a historian from Yale who was interviewed um, in the film, and he was speaking about, you know, just democracy and what it means when you have this this reality that people can buy votes, right? Like, is it really a democracy? Is it, you know, if corporations have their, like, hands on... Uh, these political outcomes, you know, um, if we have an electoral college, is it really a democracy? And even the electoral college is is, is remnants from slavery, right? Yep. So n- all Americans are are you know impacted and affected by even this history of slavery in this country. All of them, whether you're a newer American or you've been here for a while, whether you're black, white, or other, you know, or anything else. Um, but but the historian he was talking about. Um, democracy really only being less than 50 years old. If you think about, and they pointed this out, because, you know, black people didn't get the right to vote until Civil Rights Act was passed in 1965. My parents were born before 1965, which meant, like, my grandparents were not, you know, they spent a good portion of their lives not having the right to vote. And they're still a lot. Like, this was not, like, a long time ago. This right. is, like, people's lived experience today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that was really, man, that was really something for, for him. I mean, for, for me to hear that, right, as this, this, is, a, this is a white guy. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a professor. He's a historian. But for him to just put it so plainly, right, and, like, do we really even have a democracy? What is democracy? You know, and we still live with the fact that we have an electoral college where, you know, there's there's some, you know, movements in our country to, of course, to, to like, to push against it. Um, 
but the idea of having like a democracy is one person equals one vote, right? Right. But like in the electoral, in the popular vo- like the popular vote wins the election. That's not what we have here, right? And so I think what was really interesting about this film is also showing how people, everyday people, are pushing against that, like in so many ways. Um, but that's something that 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 really stood out to me. I thought that was a tremendously one of the most important points in the movie, uh, in the movie, in the film. The fact that our so-called lauded democracy, us being a, a bastion of freedom for the world, has has not been a democracy. Right? We've just gotten to the point that, uh, like you said, we've just gotten to the point where now all those who were denied the right to vote, women, uh, 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 um, African Americans can now vote. And then it makes the discussion around voter suppression that exists now even that that much more uh, relevant, that much more important when you look at efforts by um, efforts by uh, counties to close down voting um, polling places, uh, you know, changing the hours, um, you know, or requiring two forms of photo ID, you know, all of these different obstacles, you know, it just harkens back to that time, uh, a time of the, the grandfather clause, right? Or literacy test, or any other test that they could throw at, uh, throw at us. It, you know, yeah, I think that was one of the most important things that I think people, as, as Americans, we need to really be mindful. We, we got it wrong for a long time, for a very long time, and we're just now in a position where everybody can participate. Well, no, no, everybody can't participate. How many millions of Balance. people do we have? I think they said the, the number of people, aside from the 2.2 or 2.3 million people we have incarcerated, there are another uh, total, I think, is close to 6 million people that are still attached to the uh, uh, criminal justice system through probation or parole that are that don't have the right to vote. And those people are predominantly what? Yeah. Black. Black yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people on the right are going to be very angry at that part of the movie because it exposes a big hypocrisy in our nation, which is when we use we have this yardstick that we measure that we use to measure other countries all over the world and say, "Are you up to this standard?" Mm-hmm. But we ourselves, if everyone can't vote, if the majority of the the person who gets the majority of the votes doesn't win and so on and so on if you yourself are not a democracy what gives you the right to you know uh make everyone else in the world take this litmus test to see if you're up to our standards or not we ourselves are not following that true hypocrisy and it can't be argued with there's there's no way around it with regard to the electoral college and every other representation of it whether it be on the, the state level with the 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 um, the, the delegates uh, that we have, we got to talk about West Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, and I would, and I know that's just the one, that's the one state that he that he talked about in the film. I would love to see the numbers in other states to see if this was not an isolated uh, incident. So, what we're talking about here is during the um, the Democratic um, uh, the, the primaries is there going around the country and, you know, and they're stumping and all of that. When it came time for the vote in West Virginia 
as we know, the front runners at that point, Bernie Sanders, Senator Bernie Sanders and uh, Senator um, uh, Hillary Clinton, Sanders won all 55 counties, every last one in West Virginia. But at the Democratic uh, National Convention, as the states are going around and the reps are getting up and they're calling out, you know, who who has won, um, they, who's going to get their votes, and they called out Hillary Clinton. Just, uh, I mean, broad daylight. Yeah. But, but what did they have? What was in that shot? Which oh, he the, showed. So lady puts the sign up. As the other, as the representative is speaking, mm-hmm. you know, saying like, "Yeah, we give our votes to Hillary Clinton." There's a lady right behind her, just, just sticking out that sign that says "Burning One, All Fifty Five Counties." Yeah, that's kind of a last ditch yeah. attempt just to expose the truth. Yeah. When mm-hmm. I thought, and, and, and there's a few examples like that um, in the film where people, you can see how people have lost faith and motivation in our system and even political participation because they see what the outcomes are. If you're 55 counties and one entire state has, has voted for a, for, for a particular representation, but because of the system that we have, their, their voices are not heard. Their vote didn't really count, did it, you know? Right. And so there were a few examples in the film um, and I think there were some examples of, like, even, even people, and maybe this wasn't in the film, but people who once upon a time voted Obama in some parts of the U.S., and then in the, in the last presidential election, there's so many people that didn't vote, period. That was in the film. Yeah. A hundred million like people. At all, like, at all. Didn't and, vote. And because what? Because they didn't have faith in, in the system. They, they, they didn't feel like their votes, their voices were going to count. And, and 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 they have proof of that. Yeah. You know, um, that's so. The other other side of the argument, when people talk about the electoral college, they say, well, it prevents the tyranny of the majority. And I think that's a weak argument. Uh, I think it's a weak argument. I think there's more uh, there's more damage in that than there is um, actual good or any real pre- uh, prevention of of any real tyranny. Um, I, I have a soft spot for the Electoral College, which is, of course, that? now in jeopardy, is that what we were talking about before, where it tends to keep out extremist parties. Like, you don't have this Nazi party, you know, in America. Or do um, we? Um, By another th- exactly. name. <laughs> See, that's, that's, that's why uh, this conventional theory is now kind of being questioned and in jeopardy. But traditionally... Um, we didn't have mass media as it exists mm. uh, today at the at the outset, you know, of the republic. Right. Uh, this ability to have talking heads, news on a twenty four cycle, where people are throwing out uh, ideas, uh, people are speaking as if they are informed about issues, and they are playing on people's fears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're and they're playing on the fears of people who really don't have because of the way things are structured, because of the impact of greed on the lives of most people. Um, the middle class is a shrinking class, and because most people there there are far more uh, people who have to work multiple jobs uh, to make ends meet, uh, who don't have the time, uh, or maybe the resource, or don't really know how to go about getting. 
um, uh, credible information, right? Oh, and then once they get the information, how do I use it? What do I plug in? So people are cut off and their main conduit for getting information are these spin doctors. So when you look at where we are right now compared to how politics existed before, because at one point it was unheard of to go door to door, you know, uh, and even advertised. I mean, that was not, this is, this is really all new stuff just over the past hundred and maybe 50 years or so. Um, we're in a much different position. I think we need to really reevaluate um, just the, the impact. And we don't have civics in a lot of, cl- you know, most schools now. There, uh, there are a lot of holes that were exposed, mm-hmm. I think, in this. Yeah. All right. Let's talk top three scenes. <laughs> this is my favorite part. For sure. You got it. <laughs> My top three favorite moments of this film, um, and this is probably in no particular order, but one of them was definitely how the way that the teachers in West Virginia were organizing, right, for a livable wage, Mm -hmm. for health care, right? Yeah. That was was so inspiring, right? And, I mean, they were also, they were even working with, with unions there. And I think at one point in the film... There was a time where, so they were going on strike, and and the union that was representing them wasn't necessarily the most effective to represent them. And right. so at that point, these teachers decided, we're going to still strike, and we're going to strike until we get what, what it is that we, you know, what, what we're asking for. And they were asking for a livable wage. Yeah. A livable wage so they didn't have to work three, four jobs to provide for themselves and their families. And Virginia is was uh, ranked 48th out of the 50 states as far as teacher wages were concerned. Hmm. And the interesting, the, 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 the really inspiring thing about that was they weren't just looking out for themselves. They were also looking out for the lunch lady, the cafeteria, the bus drivers. They that. wanted to make sure when they came to the table, they were going to walk away and make sure that not just teachers, but other folks who are in the school system who are uh, supporting you know, the, the next generation, that those folks aren't left out in the cold. So that was super inspiring. Um, another one, oh, my God, this is, this is <laughs> when Michael Moore went to governor, uh, governor of, of Michigan. Snyder, yeah. Went to Snyder's house. Well, he went to his house at one point. And he brought a truck full of Flint water. I don't know if it was real Flint water or if it just said it said Flint on the side. Yeah. And he started spraying down uh, his, his his driveway, right, with the Flint water. But when he went down into the governor's office to make a citizen's arrest, that, I was like, <laughs> look at this dude. <laughs> he found yeah. that life. So um, that, was, that was another favorite in the movie. Um, and the last, the last was, was the gentleman. He was a veteran. Um, I think his name was Richard. He's a veteran. And he's also doing this grassroots campaign to like run for for a local uh, office there. Okay, yeah. But he every time he every time he got on on film, he kept talking about how he'll take it to the streets too. Like right. he was talking about <laughs> getting down and scrapping in the streets. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, this guy's comedic. Um, but those are my three top top three favorite moments of the film for sure. Yeah, those are definitely good stuff. Good stuff, Ibrahim. <laughs> Um, there's one moment that really stands out to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess two. 
um one is the the parkland shooting where they're showing like footage of the actual shooting itself yeah and then which is really striking um i think that's the first time i've seen that graphic of a a video where they actually just showed the you know people snapchatting while the shooting is happening Yeah. yeah that was really graphic and really disturbing um the way the kids at parkland uh stood up and said you know we're just not going to tolerate this anymore um emma you know, emma gonzalez is mm-hmm. that her last mm-hmm. name mm-hmm. she has she's just a, a an incredibly powerful presence yeah uh, even like even her moment of silence where she oh it's just that was incredibly powerful. yeah incredibly powerful um also probably the, my top moment in the movie my top not a moment but the scene i guess is when they start making comparisons to 1930s Germany. Yes. Now, when you just hear about that, it might sound like something just totally over the top, you know, oh, how can you really compare it to that? But they really go into a lot of depth and they break it down and say Germany was an incredibly educated country. Mm -hmm. They were, they read voraciously, you know, they're very educated intellectuals, um, they weren't fools just following along and it didn't happen they didn't elect hitler to uh perform a holocaust but it happened kind of one step at a time and at every step there were people out there saying no no it it won't go into something that extreme because the constitution's in place you know right it will it will the constitution will prevent this the constitution will prevent that kind of a mass killing or whatever um and that's kind of that that really resonates with us what's happening right now um i don't think michael moore is trying to say that trump is hitler or that he's going to start killing everyone but it's very um striking and very just to see those parallels and to see our parallel reaction mm-hmm. to those same type of events building up is very striking mm. you know i also found uh, that comparison with uh, Germany, uh, their society, uh, and us today, I, I found that really, that, that, that hit me. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was really funny to see Hitler's face and hear Trump's voice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought oh, that yeah. was a really great, just a great move. Um, but one of the things that really, really hit me was the emergency the manufacturing of, of emergencies. And if you study yes. um, history, as a matter of fact, and, and these things, these, the funny thing about being labeled a conspiracy theorist is that it, it makes people feel like they don't have to investigate the conspiracy. Exactly. You can dismiss something right? without answering the, the concerns at all. But, but the truth is, and, and a lot of these things are matters of public record. Mm-hmm. Uh, even going back like before, uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima before the bomb that that atomic bomb was dropped uh, there were uh, there were individuals in our government that were looking for an opportunity to drop that bomb uh, and and but it, it didn't the opportunity had not presented itself uh, and it goes back to like the I think it was the Luft's I can't remember the name of the liner but it was a liner that was sunk out in the in the in, in the sea, and uh, and they thought that they were going to get the uh, America's reaction to say we want you know we want blood, and it didn't come about. Um, it's documented with Pearl Harbor. 
that they had actually intercepted. They knew that this was coming. Uh, the the commander at the the the, uh, the air base had the planes turned all in, put propellers inward, which anybody who flies it, that's the most difficult way to dispatch. Um, in case of any, you know, if, if everybody has to respond, they have to back up and turn them around, and then they can uh, pull off. Um, and I only bring that up to to, to say this to to the point that Michael Moore made in the movie, which is says that man is, is that um, emergencies have been manufactured for the purpose of those who have power getting more power. If we look at 9/11, and we look at what happened uh, as far as the Patriot Act, the civil liberties that most folks were more than willing to give up. Uh, and, of course, the media response at that time, the mainstream media, was in support of it. Totally for it. Totally yeah. for it. Yeah. They said, hey, hey give it up. Question. Make us safe. Make us feel mm-hmm. safe. Mm-hmm. Right? And that parallel with Germany and how, I guess, that was their, their, their state house, whatever. Um, yeah, the Reichstag, the uh, parliament building, yeah. down. was burnt down. It's widely speculated that throughout even through historians widely speculated that Hitler himself ordered it and, and it would make sense because that was a pivotal moment uh, because the seats that other parties had were they were removed and at that point he was able to run straight ahead because he did not have the majority uh, within that, that, that parliament he didn't have the majority of the vote so he couldn't have done those things legally but having the people in an uproar and one one thing I really admired uh, that Michael Moore was able to pull off was to draw a parallel between all that and what happened in Flint. Because if you remember, if when he goes back and introduces uh, Rick Snyder and his whole uh, ascending to the role of governor, mm-hmm. that that's the, one of the first things he did was to get an emergency manager, oh. right? Uh, and then he he yeah. goes back later and draws parallels to this whole militarization of the police, mm-hmm. right? Military ex- that was create that was that, actually I forgot to mention that that was one of my uh, most you know striking moments for me when these unannounced military exercises in Flint, like yeah. all of a sudden that was so bizarre. Like that was so bizarre mm-hmm. because Flint had already gone through this like disaster of. Like the pollution and the environmental racism, they already gone through that. And then on top of that, it's like, well, these are forgotten people for real because now we're just going to use their town to, as yeah. a base to practice, yeah. right? To bomb. And, and like the locals, they were saying that they didn't even know. No one informed them there was bombing, like in the streets, broad daylight. They didn't even know that they were using this this space the city like uh, abandoned lots next to people's homes and mm-hmm. all this stuff as like just practice you know mm-hmm. it was it was that was so bizarre that was that to me was like wow last thing i'll mention is we hear this often and i'm sure i know he connected with this in a movie but we hear it often that other people outside of america hate us because of our freedom is absurd. It's absolutely <laughs> absurd. But I think one of the things that this uh, movie showed is that the people who really hate us for our freedoms are the people who continually take them from us. And whether the example of the emergency managers, the Patriot Act, or anything else that's coming down the line because of whatever emergency. And then also, 
Uh, I, I loved how he showed Trump's, and this is nothing new, how Trump loves the uh, strong man and how he, you know, he really wants to be president for life. Uh, so I'm looking for the emergency that's going to come where he will find a way to suspend uh, elections, where he'll find a way to amass uh, more power, uh, move people out the way, restrict uh, journalists' uh, access even greater, suppress free, uh, free speech. I think that's what we should really be uh, preparing ourselves uh, to, to make sure it doesn't happen. So Those think, are the stakes. Yeah, yep. that's exactly. That's, that's, that is what, it, what is at stake. Uh, man, we got so much more to talk about. Um, but <laughs> but we got to go. Go so, see this film. Yes, go see it. Uh, Bashira, Ibrahim, thank you both. Thank you. All right, Radio Sound family, uh, we thank you all for joining us. We thank our engineers over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. Uh, I'm your host, Tariq al Executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of sound vision. With that, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.